Hello, everybody. It's Jim Sirk with the Medical Sales Nation. Thank you for joining us today. We got an incredible, incredible podcast with Uncle Charlie dropping negotiation bombs, a continuation, not a continuation, but an extension of the last podcast on how to overcome pricing. Dove right into this negotiation piece after we got some feedback from some folks. Take a listen, my ADD counterparts out there. Some deep stuff here. Don't give up on it. Listen to it. Take the dogs for a walk. Go for a run. You're in the car. You got to drive 50 minutes. Give it a listen. It's uh, it's pretty good if I don't say so myself. So without further ado, let's go. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Medical Sales Nation. It's Jim Surik. And Charlie Johnson. Hey, Charlie, I thought, you know, we would kind of review what we did in the last uh, podcast. You know, you did a, we had some great information on how to deal with pricing objections and really how to lay the table up front so when you get to pricing that it's easier to overcome you know, it's not, you know, a miracle magic pill, but it makes it just easier to deal with those pricing objections. And I thought maybe you could review with the nation, um, you know, some of the salient points from that podcast, because then we're going to go into negotiations and, uh, you know, how to, what are the principles of negotiations and, you know, some of the best practices. As you said before, that salespeople were not really trained I'm to be great negotiators, so it'll be a great follow-up podcast to setting the table in pricing and how to overcome and become better negotiators when we're dealing with our customers. So um, you want to review those? Sure, Jim. You know, first of all, we looked at where your products fall. Are they in a commodity box or are they in a value box? Remember the commodity box, we talked about quality, service, and price. This is really a case where you are up against competitive companies that have similar technology or service that you do. And in order to, to overcome the pricing issues, we, we have to discuss the quality and service differentiation between your company and your business and your competitors. Okay. And that's really kind of important. So we really, in there, we're really focusing on value as well, but based on quality or service. When we're in the value box, we're dealing with issues of time, money, and risk. Now, in that arena, we have to be able to know more about the customer and what value we provide for them that will uh, allow them to have more effective time management, increase their money, okay, or save money, and then, uh, you know, mitigate risk. So, in in those pricing discussions, it, it takes a deeper set of of, in, of inquiry into the customer's needs and wants. And this is important for people to realize that just presenting your product, presenting a price may not put you in a position to win if you don't understand the customer and what their needs are. So we go next to the, how do you communicate when it comes to the importance of, of the value box? And we really talk about open probing. 
we have to ask a lot of good questions to identify the problems or challenges that your customer is facing so that we can apply how the value of our product or service can eliminate those or, or mitigate those. Uh, when the customer asks for a discount, uh, people are always, well, anytime you're in, in sitting with a customer and you, and you declare your price, the customer is going to look at the customer is going to see if that makes you nervous when they ask about a discount. And the more nervous you look, the more the customer realizes that they can get a better price. So we talked about the behavior of uh, counting to three, looking the customer in the eye, and not jumping in to justify or rationalize your price difference. And at the end of the day, no matter the price of your product or service, uh, the the buyer is going to respond with a flinch or some kind of physical uh, demonstration that, oh my God, I'm not, <laughs> are you kidding me? And that makes people react, especially if you're not trained in negotiation. You can react very badly to that. And when I say react badly, is immediately drop your price, which no one should ever do until they've explored more deeply. And I think that leads us into how the other principles of negotiation fit into that price objection issue and also expand the opportunity for value for both sides for your for you the salesperson and for the customer okay so 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 remember everybody and we mentioned this last podcast everybody wants you all of the anyone who's acquiring a product wants to put you into that commodity box right so no matter if you're you really believe or you are in the value box you're the person you're trying to sell to the purchasing manager is going to say, no, you're just a commodity like everyone else. So realize that. And so when you're in the commodity box and you know if you're in a commodity box or not, you have to talk about quality and service as it impacts, even as it impacts, you know, the revenue or expense line that we talked about in the past. Now, if you're in the value box and we say talk about value, you got to talk about time, money, and risk. How you improve all of those for the customer so that when you get to the pricing objection, you refer back to what you talked about. And then, Charlie, when you say when the customer flinches, the one thing we left out, don't say anything. Stop. Oh, yeah. Take three seconds. Take three seconds. Take four seconds and just look at them and don't say anything. And then if you have to say something, I think the best response is price. And then don't say anything else because then they have to justify why they're saying. And then you can go back to the value that you were selling, whether you're in the commodity box, quality and service, or if you're in the value box, time, money, and risk. I think that's a good summary. So now, Charlie, let's talk about we've gotten to that point and now we're in negotiation. What are the key principles of negotiation? Well, Jim, I think the first thing that everyone in selling has to realize that a good negotiation will end in mutual satisfaction. We call kind of the uh, the win-lose as a distributive negotiation, which we define kind of as a fixed pie, if you can imagine that visual. Uh, it's a zero-sum game, which there's going to be a winner and a loser. Now, we don't, we can't really be, let ourselves fall into that place. So we have to think about our negotiation in an integrative approach, which is a win for both because it expands that pie. 
And if you can imagine, you know, b building a bigger pie, there's more pieces for both sides. So a smaller pie, there's less. So an integrative negotiation rather than distributive is really important. And distributive negotiations are about positions, whereas a integrative negotiation is about interest. Okay, so let's go a little bit more into detail on each one of these. So when, if I want, and our, our, our sales reps, our, our managers, we want that integrative negotiation concept. We want to build that. How should I start? Well, Jim, and every you know, we talk about everything itself about preparation. To be an integrative negotiator, you have to know more about the customer. What is that? What are their positions? You know, what what are they trying to accomplish? Is your product or service something that overcomes an issue for them? But we don't know unless we can find those things out. Uh, they're not going to tell you when you sit down at the at the you know, the, the buyer's desk and start the negotiation, what their issues or problems are, they're going to try to tell you what the problems of you are, your products are. Right, right. right. So, how, so, they don't, so, how they don't solve problems. Right. So it goes back to we, when we did that podcast about doing more investigation, more um, analysis of your customer, of your territory to get that information so that you're better prepared to discuss your products or services. Yes, and not only that, you have to think and talk about other people in your organization that realize how how do you expand the pie by talking about maybe other products or uh, expansions of your product line in that customer or the service post-sale uh, and, and the value that you can provide in order to get the discussion off price onto other things. Okay, okay. And so when you say you know, getting them off other things, you know, and you go in and you want this integrative approach and I'm going to sell this, you know, this pen. You know, I hate that analogy, but it's simple for us. I want to sell this pen, but I also want to sell you markers. So I'm willing to give you, give up a little bit for these pens to get that markers. How do you, how do you position that so that the purchasing person, whoever it is, wherever it is, doesn't go, I'm not here to talk about markers. I'm just here to talk about pens. Well, first of all, you have to find out who uses markers in the organization, right? Okay. And who, who's their existing marker vendor? Right. <laughs> and and what, is it, what is the quality of what they're buying today versus the quality that you provide? And does your marker provide more value? Right. You know, is it, you know, there's some, again, I don't know much about markers except for getting, a, you know, stains <laughs> on my clothes. I get but. it. I get it. But, <laughs> but I think it's a good, I, I think it's a good analogy though, because, you're able, what you just said though, Charlie, I think is, is, you know, very important is you're going to go in to sell pens and that's why that purchasing person is there. But you, because you want this different integrative approach, you're going to ask for different pieces of business. So you have to be prepared to talk about those other products and be prepared to talk about what they're doing there as well. So it's, it's a big, when we're in this negotiation piece and we want an integrative approach, you need to be prepared on multiple product lines to create that integrative approach because your purchasing person is not probably coming to the table with that mindset. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. They're coming to the table with a mindset of reducing what they pay. Right. You know, a lot of these people are bonused on, on getting bigger discounts. So they're not help, looking to help us, the vendor, expand our product line. So 
understanding a bit more about the customer and the utilization of the technology or the service, understanding the satisfaction they have with your competitors and all your product categories is critical. And that'll allow you to expand the pie. But the first thing you really need to do before you even start to talk is decide on your BATNA. BATNA? <laughs> What's a BATNA? Well, a BATNA is your best alternative to a negotiated agreement. It's kind of a term that's used uh, in negotiation, training, uh, and actually uh, planning. Uh, so when's, where do I walk away? Uh, you know, the part, one of the biggest challenges in negotiations are they become emotional. Uh, you feel like you're in a battle because <laughs> the customer wants you to feel that. Right. And that you're, you're risking losing everything uh, if you don't give in to what they want. So a lot of times that emotion can drive people to lower their price to a point where there's no profit. Uh, you know, we're, we're, most of us that are in sales are selling products for a company that needs to make profits. And if you're selling at a price where the company is losing money, nobody wins. So, Charlie, basically what that is, your batna is when do you walk away? When do you just say, I can't do it? So, you're, so just to make it simple, so the best alternative to a negotiated agreement, you're, so the best alternative is when you walk away. And you say, I right. just can't do this, right? So you have to go into the negotiation with your, um, with a line drawn saying, I'm not going below this point. And knowing that when you go to that negotiation and somebody says, well, go talk to your manager, say, no, I can tell you right now that that's just that pricing or this, this agreement you're trying to come to will not suffice for the organization. So I don't need to go to my manager. This is the the best that we have. You have to be prepared to say that. Yes. Okay. And when and when you're prepared to say that, that gives you power, okay? You have you have some because we often in the negotiation when we're a salesperson because we haven't been well trained, we feel powerless, right? And one of the great tools of a uh, one of the tools, I don't think it's great, but one of the tools of a good negotiator is to use anger as a tool of negotiation. I can tell you when I first started in medical sales, the first customer I encountered told me how much he hated my company. And by, and by the fact that I was representing them, he hated me too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everybody, people want to be liked. They don't want to be hated. Sure. So what do you, what do, you do when you're new or, you, or haven't been trained in negotiation when the other party's going to get angry with you. Yeah. Well, you're either going to defend yourself by getting angry back, right? Right. But, but what's the benefit of that? You know, this is, this is a negotiation for today. Uh, we're negotiating for substance and the relationship. So you may not buy from me today, but I may be back in the future. And I certainly don't want to come back in the future when you've been promoted and I've been promoted and have you remembered nothing but me getting angry with you, right? Right, <laughs> and, and pulling you know some kind of thing out of the hat. So it's really just if the person that you're talking to starts to get angry, just stay calm, right? Take that yeah. advice again. Take three seconds. Don't say anything after somebody gets angry. Actually, that's good advice in my personal life. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, um, you know, just don't get angry. Just take three seconds. Relax. 
restate your position and say, I'm sorry, we can't come to an agreement today. I look forward to working with you in the future. But Charlie, I got to tell you something. I'm an emotional person. So sometimes when I'm negotiating, I want to win. And I want to win so bad, I can't control my emotions. And that, and that win is because I don't want my competitors to win. So, you know, how do I, uh, how do I control that? What do I do? Well, I think, Jimmy, it's fairly normal that people often demonstrate irrational behaviors during a negotiation. I'm glad you said that because I'm going to use that with my wife. I'm going to play this podcast back for her. So it's <laughs> normal to be irrational. <laughs> well, you know, the, the problem is a lot of people are either overconfident or underconfident. They don't have the right self-confidence when they're going into the, into the negotiation. Uh, sometimes people make commitments that they can't keep. Uh, you know, like selling a product at a price that's going to get, uh, you know, your manager's not going to approve the sale. Mm -hmm. And it will all be for naught, right? Uh, you can get too emotional. And that, when you're too emotional or even emotional, you lose opportunity for these integrative solutions. Well, Charlie, you've uh, mentioned in the past, um, and, I, and it's just so true, is that when we get nervous or emotional, because emotion could be nervousness, it could be, you know, many different things. It could be excitement still. Um, your IQ drops, right? A person's IQ drops as the state of anxiety increases, whether it's good anxiety or bad anxiety. Right. So you become too emotional. And like you just said, you're going to make bad decisions and you're not going to create that integrative outcome that you want. So it's really about keeping calm again, taking a deep breath, and trying to reposition this integrative approach for a win-win. Well, the, th the thing you have to go back and deal with is being rational and, and controlling your emotions so that you maintain that effective IQ that you normally carry around with you. Right. Whatever the number is. Whatever right? it is, right. 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 So, okay. Um, how do I, if I'm in this negotiation, right, Charlie? So, and I'm getting beat up, you know, we're all getting beat up on price and, you know, I'm going to call my manager. But we've got our BATNA, right? We've decided this is where I'm going to go. But I don't even want to go to the to the step above my BATNA, right? I want to, how do I know if I can hold my price? Well, Jim, I think it's very important that you have a couple of terms and, and remember these. You have a target price, that's your goal. That's the price you'd like to sell your product or service at. You also have a reservation price, uh, which kind of sets for you the range of the negotiation. Uh, hopefully, the range of negotiation is going to be somewhere between your target price and your reservation price. And that allows you to go in and be logical or rational about how you're going to negotiate this. Rather than having this, you know, letting getting caught off guard, becoming nervous or emotional, and, and losing your sense of, of what you're here for. Uh, I didn't come into your office to get into a fight, right? Right. I, I came into your office to, to provide you an opportunity to buy a technology that's going to solve some of your problems. And this is the price that I'm, I, I want to get. And this is the price, you know, tell them that I'm willing to get before I have to walk away. Right. Okay. Okay. So then when we go back to this integrative outcome and that's about expanding the pie, let's talk about how do we do that? So we talked about being prepared to expand the pie first. We have to be prepared to do that. 
but how do I bring it up? How do I make it so it's a natural flowing conversation? Well, Jimmy, most people in a negotiation have a position and they spend time discussing their position, but underlying that position are their interests, right? And interest-based negotiations work better than positional negotiations because we understand what causes them to take that position, if that makes sense. When the customer's position seems incompatible with yours, that's when you really need to prepare for what we call expanding the pie and getting to an integrative solution. Uh, the price is too high. It may be possible to reach agreement by establishing other things that support the customer's interest. Just like your example, the price of my pen is high, but I can save them money on my markers. And that expands and makes it a more integrative negotiation. Okay. So, sometimes, Jim, the customer is demanding a fixed discount. I won't buy anything unless I get a 20% discount. Well, you can't offer that kind of discount. So you have to look for other things that you can use to sweeten the deal. Maybe you're offering training on your technology or marketing programs, some way for, for them to gain more revenue in total so that the price of your technology or service is not too high. Interest-based negotiations go way beyond price. See, that's the interesting thing, right? Is that we get focused on price, but somehow we've got to turn that conversation into these other areas where we can provide value, extended value. And I know it's easier said than done, but just like with anything that we do, we have to practice. We have to practice these skill sets and asking different questions about, well, it can't always be about price. Otherwise, you could just go to, you know, Amazon.com and buy medical supplies or wherever so or eBay, eBay or eBay probably. eBay yeah. right right eBay so there's something more to it so let's not discount our profession and what we do and how we can bring value just by being better at this and finding out what those other interests are so but Charlie how do I, you know so what are the best ways of getting to that interest based negotiation well the, again we go back we have to go back to value right uh, what what does our product or service, what issue does it solve or what problem does it solve for the customer? And how can I expand that so that I'm not only solving their problems, but I'm helping them to improve their business? Uh, that becomes a very uh, strong integrative uh, negotiation. Uh, we, when we're talking about interest with maybe we have a newer technology or better technology or we have better service, we have a great training program. All of those things are what we call value added, but also are it's important that you understand from your customers and the people that use your technology within the customer bases, what challenges or problems they're facing or using your competitors' uh, technology, what, what are they facing in problems or challenges? I remember last week, when we talked about price, we talked about a friend of yours who was um, turned down on his price and then got a call back because the competitive technology didn't work. That's always an opportunity. And it shows the value, Jim, uh, from, from you telling me that story of sticking with your target or reservation price and not going below it. That's right. No, that's right. So um, what, what other things do you think we can do? I mean, we talk about preparation. And, 
which helps us, you know, build that interest-based negotiation. Should we ever go around, I don't want to say go around a purchasing person, but bring up different areas of interest that have been relayed to us by someone else? Or would that be pushing the limits? Well, I think it, you know, it always depends, Jimmy, but I think that your knowledge of information doesn't have to be aligned to an individual, right? Right. <laughs> because very often we found that information from somebody that's not in a position where, you know, they tell us things that is a risk to them on keeping their job or, or uh, losing an opportunity to grow within a company. I, I always want to try to maintain that privacy. Uh, that's why I've never believed in saying, well, you know, doctors, so, so someone says uses our technology and is happy or, you know, nurse, so-and-so told me that the technology you have isn't working. You don't, you don't want to do that because right. you don't know whether the negotiator, what they feel about that person, number one, or if that person's even important. So you try to talk in generalities of things that you understand from the users of the current technology about the problems or issues they're having. Um, so I wouldn't name anybody. Okay. Okay. That's great advice. That's good advice. Um, so we, we talk about um, concessions, um, you know, when we're, when we're in negotiation, you know, that we're going to give some things up, right? So we want to make it a win-win. We're going to give some things up. What are the concessions and when should we make them in these negotiations? Well, Jim, concessions are sometimes just picture this. You're, you're, you're meeting a, 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 a buyer for your customer and they are, uh, they're good negotiators and they, they want to say, okay, I need, I need a better price or they flinch. Right. Right. And what do salespeople do? Sometimes they immediately give up. Okay. I can give you a 10% discount. Well, you've just given up a concession and you haven't gotten anything back for it. Right. Right. Now, now when you do that, that makes that buyer feel like, oh my God, I can get a lot more from this person because they're willing to give it up so easily. And, you know, we talk about experiences that people have. We talked about one in pricing where giving up price may have satisfied the, the individual making the quota this quarter, but it's going to cost him for the rest of his year because now he's got to sell two times as many because he's given up so much in price. So concessions, you only want to give them up if you get something back. Now, you don't even give a concession until after you've explored underlying interest. And when you're giving concessions, you have to think about the fact that you give them slowly and sparingly. Okay. You don't, you don't present yourself as someone that's willing to, to give up on price. So, so Charlie, so we should be flinching. Right. Well, yeah. Right. We should be flinching when this comes up. I go, I don't know about that. Oh my God, I can't believe you're asking for that. You know, well, what can what can you give me for that? Well, I tell you, Jim, it's uh, it's interesting. If you if I can tell you, right? I was I was going to. I took a negotiation course, and then right after that, I had an opportunity to buy a house, and the house was owned by the bank because the person bef that owned it foreclosed. And understanding that the bank doesn't want to hang on to a piece of property and that once they foreclose, they want to move that property, I was very confident that I could take my time 
and get to a much better price because I knew they needed to sell it more than I needed to buy it. Right. That's why they try to teach you when you're a home buyer is don't get emotionally connected to something you want to buy because you'll overpay for it. Well, that that goes back to what we were just talking about. Your irrational behavior is based on emotion. Stay calm. Right. Absolutely. Right. And and they're given – you should give them one for one. If I'm going to give you a concession, you got to give me something back. And if you don't do that, you're going to be you're going to open yourself up for continual asks for more concessions because you're willing to give them up without getting something back. Right. So, so that's just a great tip, right? To if you're going to give something up, you know, make sure you're getting something. And maybe before you give it up, ask them what they're going to give you if you give it up. So reverse that a little bit. At least that's what I would do. Yeah, and how would you articulate that, Jim? I think if somebody said to me, "Well, you know, Jim, you gotta, you know, give me ninety-day terms, you know, whatever it is, right?" I'd say, you know, I would sit back and go, "Oh, like you just said, Charlie Flinch, ninety-day terms. Oh my <laughs> God, right?" I go, "I, I, I don't, I don't think I can do that." But let's say I could do something like that. What can, what can you do to get me? the marker business or well 20% of that marker business if I'm able to do this for you. Right. And and in that case, maybe you offer, okay, instead of giving you 90 days, what if I gave you a 2% discount if you pay in 30 days? Right. Sure. You could, whatever. I mean, I'm just, I'm feeling that. That's just, you know, how you Give and get concessions in that kind of manner. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think we have to be comfortable. And as sales reps, like you said, we're not trained on negotiation. And so we'd rather just say, hey, it's our, I got to call my boss and ask my boss, I got to ask my manager. You know, where it's really, if you go in, like you said, prepared and confident to start asking for things because we have a big bag of products. You know, for most companies, most reps listening have a couple products. Why not negotiate to, to get those other products and at least say, well, at least give me an opportunity to get 20% of the marker business, right? Not all of it. I'm not asking for all of it. Just give me an opportunity to win that. So, so anyways, I think that's, that's really good on that concession piece and, and how to do it. So, Charlie, though, some of these uh, um, purchasing guys, not some, all of them in purchasing take a lot of classes, take courses on how to negotiate so what are some of the tactics, you know, these trained purchasing negotiators will use to get a better deal from us that we need to be aware of? Well, you know, we always, we've talked a lot about the flinch, which think about most negotiations are taking place in, in the buyer's office. Right. Where they're very comfortable and it's their place, right? And right. you're And you're invading their place. And, and they're telling you that they, you know, if you don't give them the price, they're going to go to the competition. What's going to happen to that rep who may be new or may not be confident or needs this business or, or the loss of this business may affect their income? They, have, they know how to get us into situations where we're, we feel fear, right? right. They, want us, they want us to feel fear. So they're trained to create that sense of fear. Just like I said on my first call in medical sales, the guy said how much he hated my company, he hated me, right? Right. Well, here I am, a new guy in town. I want to be, I want to be, li- I want to be liked. I want people to be happy with me, and he already hates me. 
Right. I didn't even do anything. Right. <laughs> right. Right. But but that's all that's all tactics. That's what they've tra- they're trained to do, and not show their emotions and stay totally rational and just say things that will make the the, the seller become nervous or anxious and become irrational. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, I mean, I've had that happen to me. Right. Where I. I there was this negotiation going on and I was a little, I was young in my career and became very direct with the purchasing manager and the chief medical officer of uh, the hospital. And, you know, I basically said, I didn't basically, this is what I said. They were talking about their profitability and how they just purchased a $30 million software you know, system and they need to somehow pay for it and become profitable. And I said, you know, emotionally, I said, there's no way in the world I can discount you into profitability. <laughs> All right. You know, sounds really good in my head, but when it comes out of your mouth and there's 10 people from the hospital sitting there, the guy went crazy. The, the director of purchasing went crazy. So that's something that I should avoid and we should all avoid. What are some of the other things I should revo- avoid in responding to these tactics? Well, you, number one, again, we talk about business is about profitability. It's about making concessions only after you're sure that the customer is not just employing a tactic and it makes good business sense, right? Right. It's easy, it's easy to get caught up in a feeling that it is a win-lose proposition and we want to or need to win. Uh, integrative negotiations are about interest and in expanding the pie, not splitting it up. Right. Uh, there, are, there are forces on the buyer to buy your product or service. So you do have support, and it's better if you know that. If you don't know that there are people that want your technology or are willing to uh, stand up for you, uh, that means you haven't you haven't gotten deep enough into the organization to know where your support is. Right. When you know you have support, you realize that the forces on the buyer are to buy your technology and not walk away from your business. Okay. Uh, so we have to know who the decision influencers are. And we talk about it all the time, Jim, in selling. There are decision makers and decision influencers. And when you're in a negotiation, it's those decision influencers that are the people that are going to support your service or technology and are going to help you get a, an expanded, integrated solution. Okay. So, Charlie, sometimes we get to this point, right, and we're, we're providing all the value. We're trying to have an integrative approach that's based on mutual interests and we're trying to expand the pie and negotiation stalls, right? Yeah. Well, well why is that? Well, we're going to call it an impasse. So okay. Actually, it's, an, it's a negotiation technique. Uh, you know, a good negotiator uh, always demands that you give them quick answers. Like, I need this proposal by Friday, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, a lot of times, this is a you know another area that yeah I think people should avoid. You get you suddenly get a an RFP or uh, ref, uh, <laughs> an RFP from a customer that you haven't done business with, and it looks like oh my god I have a bluebird opportunity. So you go crazy getting people involved to come up with a proposal that will you know give you the opportunity to get their business. And all they're using you for is is to is to push their their primary vendor into giving them a better price, right? Right. And they hope that you'll react uh, first by giving a concession. 
So, for example, their uh, RFP may say, you know, that we need a 10% discount uh, or we're not going to consider it. Well, you, some people will get the approval to give them a 10% discount up front. This is really uh, – this is when a, when a seller feels desperate to get the deal. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and, and all our buyers know that we're more desperate at the end of a quarter. Yeah. So, well, yeah, that, you know what? And that's interesting you bring it up because we all do it. I've been there. But if, you know, we can go into pipeline management and pipeline development, you know, and, and building out, and we've talked about it in the past a little bit about, you know, having a three times target of your quota um, so that you're, you're targeting three times the amount of quota that you have and so that you can get to 100%. But if you're doing that, th- and you're really building your pipeline, end of quarter shouldn't matter because that's just a time frame we've put on ourselves, Wall Street's put on ourselves. So if you don't have a strong pipeline, you're going to be more desperate and you're going to, and the buyer's going to know that. If you're willing to walk away at the end of a quarter and show that confidence, you're going to be in a better position. Well, particularly if you've done a better job of demonstrating value to the decision influencers, right? Right. If you have support on the back end, you're going to be a lot stronger in holding your price and and you know being able to walk away. And the the other thing is too, they used, like I said, they use time to make you nervous, right? So you're in an impasse. They won't talk to you. They won't answer your question. As time goes on, you give them a concession to get them to start talking. Well, that's really the worst way to end an impasse. And so what you're saying, Charlie, what you're saying is that they're not calling you back. They're not calling you back. They're not calling you back. And then you leave a voicemail. Hey, I just talked to my manager and uh, we're going to give you another 12.5% off. <laughs> right? That's what you're saying. And they're well, like, they just, and they yeah. go, and they're thinking, got ya, gotcha. Right? And now they call you back and go, hey, I really appreciate that 12.5% you're offering, but... It's not going to be enough. We're going to need eighteen point nine, and right. And now you've just started the downhill tumble, and you better know what your batna is so you don't go below that. So, um, well, particularly, particularly at the end of a time frame where they know you have to sell, and they also know that you're willing to give more up to right. get that deal. So then, Charlie. So, what are more effective means to overcome an impasse then? Well, take a take a break. You know, this allows you to step back before you make an ill-advised uh, concession or get upset or angry. Because regardless of the outcome, you need to preserve the relationship as you're, you're both going to interact again. I can tell you a, a story, and I'm sure you could tell me one too, of, of, of a, a buyer who early in my career, I had some you know pretty negative discussions during a negotiation. I kind of walked away and Call him a name, and uh, oh, no. <laughs> later I came back. I was a VP, and then he was a VP of a, of a hospital <laughs> system, right? Right. So that you never know. So That's you don't true. ever want to do that. Well, Sometimes you need to enlist a third party, somebody who can look at the uh, the negotiation, be more rational than you are. That's such a great idea, Charlie. You know, to, to even not even if you're a sales rep or a manager, give it to a different manager, give it to a different sales rep to take a look at. You know, even a friend of yours that you're not competing with, you know, have, talk through it. We can all learn from each other. Like, you know, you know how I am. I'm big on learning from each other because we are just a uh, an accumulation of our life experiences, and we we all 
we really could benefit by talking more to each other. Well, people, other people are not as emotional as you are about the outcome. Yeah. And yeah. they can point out things that, that will allow you to, to reduce the emotion and be more rational. Okay, so, uh, so when you get to this, you're, you know, when you're starting to feel irrational, you're, you're feeling frustrated again. When I, when I am you know, trying to approach this integrative negotiation and I'm trying to be – because you really think about it, Charlie. I'm trying to be inclusive. I'm trying to bring it all on the table and – Maybe they're just saying, no, I'm here to talk about pens, not markers. Pens, not markers. Okay, so what, what can I do or what should I do when I reach this level of frustration? Well, I think, I think that we use a technique that we've heard from buyers all the time is that the, my hands are tied. I can't break the company policy to give you what you're asking for in this situation. And you're not blaming a person. You're blaming a policy. It's... it's it's easier to blame a policy because if you blame a person, the buyer's going to want to talk to that person, right? Right. Well, then let me see your sales manager if you can't do this. Let me talk to the person that can, can approve a discount. And, you know, that's, in a lot of ways, that's taking away all the power you have. Right. Because now, they, now they've nullified you in the negotiation. So keep it to a policy and keep your emotions. Try to keep your emotions in check when a deal is standing in the way of your making quota. They don't. The customer doesn't care about your quota <laughs> when they're buying a product, right? And you know what? We as sales reps, I've seen this, um, I, you know, over and over. When we as sales reps have actually gone to good customers and have said, you know, can you, you know, do me a favor and you know get a little bit more on your shelf or buy a little bit more so I can hit my quota. And you know what? A lot of times it works where reps are able to do that, but in the end, it backfires because you go to that well once too often, you've just lost a relationship. It's just, it's not appropriate to put your quote on someone else because like you said, these purchasing people don't care and, and no. don't assume they do. And they have quotas themselves. That's right. That's right. <laughs> they have things they want to achieve. So, you know, when, when, I, when you get to a point where a negotiator uh, – starts to become, you know, stalled on a non, they can become stalled on a non-issue, right? Right. And, and you know, we call that a red herring. Uh, this happens when the negotiator acts very concerned about issues that are, in fact, have nothing, have no importance to them and have nothing to do with the, with, with the deal and they're using them as bargaining chips, right? Right. Right. And you know, one of the, a, a, an example of this might be in payment terms, right? The, the buyer may be asking for better payment terms, even though it doesn't matter to them because they're getting, you know, they're getting, they want the price. So they get asked you for better payment terms. You go into a lot of internal negotiation in your company to try to get that approved and you give it back and it doesn't do anything, right? So, <laughs> what are, so when you say that, so they take it, but that doesn't move the negotiation. They're like, thank you, but I don't care. Right. Uh, right. But they, distracting you with a red herring really puts them in a, power, a position of power. Okay. Okay. So they start – so now they're in control of that negotiation again. There's, yeah. yeah. That's, that's what they want to be, in control, right? right? Right. Okay. So, Charlie, how come sometimes I think you know, I'm, I'm at an agreement in a deal? And, and this is – I'm sure everybody here listed this is going to start nodding their head. Is that you're, you're like, hey, you tell your manager. 
I'm going to get that PO. I'm, I'm getting it right now. I'm walking into the hospital. And boom, it stalls last minute. Well, that, that tactic is called a nibble, right? And basically what they're nibbling at <laughs> are you're, you're comfortable that you got the deal. And they, they nibble at you for some other kind of discount or variation on what you've offered. And you feel that if I don't give it, I'm going to lose this deal to, and altogether. Right. And it throws you off. It does, right. Yeah. Well, you feel thrown, you know, you feel like you have to concede to avoid losing the big deal. And negotiators are trained to do that, even if the deal is satisfying to them. They're constantly looking for how can I sweeten this deal for me, the buyer, and my, and my employers, the hospital. Right. Or the practice, you know, it, it, in medical sales, it's very often, you know, a, a, a the buyer is in a unique position because they're not emotionally involved with any of the technologies they're buying, and their job is to get a better price. So they don't really care, right? Yeah, yeah. So any way they can get something more, they're going to try yeah. to do it, right? Because that's their job. I mean, it's like we said before, they're they're there to to help the hospital, to help the clinic, to help the office, the ASC, whatever. Their job is to make sure that it's financially viable, but also make sure that they're getting the best products in at the best price for patient care. So no, you got, just gotta understand their position as well and it's not personal. I think that's the one thing. Let's not take it personally. You know, Charlie, there's a, a lot of information and maybe I could try to sum it up a little bit, you know, with just some four things to remember. What we want to do is focus on interests, not positions. Is that right? Yeah. Well, interest-based negotiations uh, looks for opportunities for both parties to conclude the negotiation and feeling satisfied, right? Okay. All right. Great. And and the other, the other piece on this thing, I think, is the tactics that we use. So we want to make sure that we're not uh, destroying relationships, becoming overly emotional, one, to make a bad impression so that we come back later when we have other products or have another opportunity to present ourselves, correct? Exactly. You know, I, and again, I talked about the experience with the guy that got promoted. It happened on the good side, too. I had a great relationship with a buyer. We understood each other. And we had good negotiations. And when that person got promoted to VP, a VP level, I was pretty comfortable. We kept the business in spite of big competitive challenge. So right. those relationships are very important that you maintain them. Okay. And, and to stay calm, once again, stay calm throughout this whole, whole process so that it establishes credibility and professionalism, right, to, to maintain yep. those relationships. You know, Charlie, we talked a, a lot about concessions and when to give them and how to give them and knowing that they're going to be part of that of that process and be prepared if you could sum that up what would you say charlie on that well, they're ne con concessions are necessary they're going to be a part of every negotiation but they should be give small and given one for one i'll give a concession if i get a concession right and, and like i said sometimes maybe if they're asking you for a concession you ask them for a concession first Right? Yeah. Say, what can I get from you if you want this? Yeah. Before you giving it up. So, and that and that's based on you know the sales rep's personality, manager's personality to be able to do that. But that comes with practice. The other piece is Charlie, as we talked about, you know, preparation, making sure you are prepared not only with your product but with that integrative approach to ask for more products to expand the pie. I think that is a big deal. Well, it's easy. 
it's not hard to ask if you have a, a full product line and your pens are your lead product about their markers, right? Right. What what opportunity can you give me to to get my markers into your institution? Uh, and then you're then you're asking for them to give a concession, and then you're then say you're willing if you give me opportunity there, I can give you something on this, uh, and, and that's that's really important. And the la- you know the last one of the last things I think about is the those words flinches, red herrings, or nibbles, right? These are all techniques to create uh, to create a feeling of insecurity for the seller. They don't mean much. But in the same time, they have a great effect, and the the buyer uses them effectively. And so there's and a, that's a, that's a problem. Yeah, well, and there's an old saying: "To be forewarned is to be forearmed." So, before sales nation, medical sales nation out there, be forewarned: you're going to run into flinches, you're going to run into red herrings, you're going to run into nibbles. We're forewarning you that this is going to be ha- is going to happen. So, arm yourself with the ability to overcome this by being calm by asking better questions, by having a better understanding of their business. And Charlie, I look at it, you know, at the end of the negotiation, whether it ended in mutual satisfaction or not, we need to be able to shake hands and walk away on a friendly basis so we can come back again another day. Well, that that's probably the best le- lessons I learned, even as a, as a sales leader, uh, taking a negotiation course with a with a, a guy that had, you know, been teaching it for years. We're going to shake hands and part friends. And that's the thought process. Whether it happens or not is, sure. you know, like, is, is only a figment of what happens. But that's where you have to think. Well, once again, we talked about being prepared. Be prepared at the end of the day not to get emotional. And you will, no matter what, walk away shaking hands to, to come back another day in a friendly environment. And I think that's incredibly important because our reputation as individual sales professionals is on the line because we all know people, doctors, nurses, purchasing managers, OR personnel, they talk to each other about us. And so let's make sure that we raise the level of professionalism and we're prepared for that and that we keep our emotions in check. And if we need to, we go outside in the car and Scream in the car if we have to, but keep it, <laughs> keep it cool while you're in the hospital or clinic yeah. or doctor's office. So, well, Charlie, that's a lot of information, and I know we're going to be summing this up um, with some notes and um, in a podcast to come, maybe 10, 15 minutes to review this, just to, to bring it home once again, just to reiterate it, make it uh, smaller, shorter, to, to help our nation get better tomorrow than they were today. And that's our goal, Jim. That's it. So for everybody in the Medical Sales Nation, have a great day. Good luck selling. And hope you enjoyed the podcast. And come back again. Goodbye, nation.